0: I love Christmas. Yes, I do. I love Christmas and I love gifts. I, f- I do. It's not necessarily my love language. I'm a more acts of service type dude, right? But I love gifts on Christmas cuz like you can ask for the uh, no, like the stuff. Like give me that for Christmas. I just I pick that I also, well, I want to be sensitive, though, because I do know maybe this season, uh, for all of us, is not a happy season. Um, I remember the first Christmas after my dad passed. It was, it was tough. It was difficult. And I try even not to get myself on that emotional train, but when I think about it, I know it's tough. So I do empathize and know that this season could represent something not um, so happy and joyful, but with all due respect... I love Christmas. My favorite Christmas gift of all times is when I got my Sega Genesis. Yes, I saw some people out there. Listen, yo, I'm about to start a new infinity, uh, affinity group, a Sega Genesis group if we can. Yo, this, I played Sonic all the time. Like, that was my... When I figured out I could hold the button and he could spin really fast, like, man... I thought about the, that gift. I thought about Sega Genesis. I thought about going to play it. it. It permeated all of my soul, my fiber. So all I could think about was my Sega Genesis, and I had two remotes, not just one. Y'all know how they get you. It comes with one remote, right? You got to buy the other one. My mom was like, hey, to my grandparents, hey, why don't you get the other controller? He can have both. Yes. I love Christmas. Now, Think about the greatest gift you've ever been given. It doesn't necessarily have to be on Christmas. It could be, but I want you to think about the the greatest gift. One of the gifts that you got that was like, "Mm," like that gift. The gift that you, like, speechless, like, for me. (laughs) Think about that gift. Hold it. You got it? Keep it in your mind. Now I'm going to make a statement. That may be, and at least to me, it's it's really cheesy. It has a lot of Velveeta, a little sharp cheddar on it. It's really cheesy, but I'm going to say it. Jesus is the greatest gift that's ever been given. And I pause a little bit because although I don't necessarily want it to be cheesy, I know, like, I work with high school and middle school kids, right? That's what I do for a living. I've worked with Young Life. And if I were to step into a room of students, and would be like, yeah, Jesus is the greatest gift that's ever been given. They would kind of like, and, right? There is some level of, the, the, the sad maybe reality is that that statement has maybe been reduced to some Christian cliché. The sad reality is that it, even some of us right now, the way it hits your heart, it's probably like, duh. Like, Jesus is the reason for the season, yeah. Right? Like, duh, as one, I know Jesus is the greatest gift, but I want to pause. Is he? I want to ask you, do you really believe? Jesus is the greatest gift that's ever been given to you. I don't care where you are in your faith journey. I'm not concerned with if you just started, maybe uh, somebody invited you to our Christmas service last Sunday and you're here to just follow up, or maybe you've been rocking with God for years. The question still remains, do you believe that Jesus is the greatest gift that's ever been given to you? And I must say, I must confess to you, sometimes that's not the case for me. Sometimes I get so caught up in the ordinary of what I do. I mean, listen, I'm a pastor. I speak. I proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ all over the world. That's what I do. And yet there are times when if I were to be honest, Jesus being the greatest gift for me, I feel like I've lost a little bit of the awe. I've lost a little bit of how special and how real that statement should hit my heart, how profound that statement is. Our scripture this morning uh, is is written by a dude named Paul. It's in Romans 6, uh, verse 23. It says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. And I'm wondering, is he really the greatest gift? that's ever been given to me. Man, my hope, I don't care what else I say up here on this stage, my hope is that today that the Holy Spirit would seep is his way in. He would uh, creatively and innovatively and uniquely uh, present himself, customize himself to step into heart of the heart of everybody listening and remove the scales from our hearts so that we could see the true profound nature of that statement. That Jesus is the greatest gift that's ever been given. Paul, this dude Paul who actually writes this, do you know how like he encountered Jesus uh, in Acts 9? Like I'll, I'll, just, I'll just read it. In Acts 9, we, talk, we hear this story. Now Saul, his name was Saul. Now Saul was still breathing threats. And murder against the disciples of the Lord. He went to the high priest, requested letters from him to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any men or women who belong to the way, following Jesus at that time was called the way, uh, any men and women who belonged to the way, he might bring them as prisoners to Jerusalem. He traveled nearing Damascus, a light from heaven suddenly flashed around him, falling to the ground. He heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Man, I wonder if the Holy Spirit has been trying to knock on our hearts saying, Renaissance, Renaissance, why have you been persecuting me? And yo, listen, we may not do it verbally or out in public, but in the subtleties of our heart. Who are you, Lord? Saul said, I am Jesus. The one you are persecuting, he replied, but get up, go into the city. You will be told what you must do to the Christians in the room. Listen, there are times where Jesus is saying, get up, I'll show you the rest. Verse 7, the men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the sound but seeing no one. These accounts are real. Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. I wonder If this holiday season, there's many of us who are like Saul, our eyes are open, but we can't see anything. So they took him by the hand and led him into Damascus. There was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias, and the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, here I am, Lord. You see the difference? Saul, who is this? Ananias, here I am, Lord. Here I am, Lord, he replied, get up. Go to the street, called straight, the Lord said to him, to the house of Judas and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul since he is praying there. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and placing his hands on him so that he may regain his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard from many people about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he has authority here from the chief priest to arrest All who call upon your name, why are you sending me to this guy? But the Lord said to him, go, for this man is my chosen instrument to take my name to Gentiles, kings and Israelites. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Suffering is included in this walk, guys. Ananias went and entered the house. He placed his hand on him and said, brother Saul. The Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road you were traveling, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Listen to this. At once, something like scales from his eyes fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. My prayer is that you and I, Allow the Holy Spirit to step into this room, stretch out his hand, and allow the scales of our eyes and our heart to fall so that we could see how profound that Jesus being the greatest gift that's ever been given, how profound that statement truly and really is. But we'll need help from the Holy Spirit to do that. Let me pray. Holy Spirit, please come. Would you speak to us? Help us see. Give us eyes to see. Give us a heart to receive your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. But yo, I ask myself why? Yo, why why is that statement kind of cheesy? What what makes it hard in my life uh, to see the, the awe and to reverence To reverence Jesus. What makes it difficult? And it's hard, right? Y'all know I'm not going to get up here and try to give you some, just some cliche stuff. I want to talk real. This is our living room. Can we talk? It's hard to keep that perspective. Life does a number on us. There's things that happen where our reality doesn't quite match what we want to believe. Makes it difficult. But here's what I think. I think, uh, at least for me, and I, I would imagine this is true for us in the room today, the reason it's difficult to see this statement and the profound nature of this statement, to see Jesus always as an awesome gift, is because we're damaged by sin. And this is just a true reality. I love the Bible. I don't have one physically here, but I love the Bible. Because it gives us accounts, and what the Bible helps do is it gives us a diagnosis of where we are. And one of the truest diagnoses that the Bible helps us understand is that you and I have this condition called sin. And this condition is real. Yes, it started in the garden where Adam and Eve took God from his rightful place, and they placed themselves there. And they decided that they they were going to become lord of their own lives. And as much as that may be a cosmic thing that has been inherited, you and I engage in it every day. It may not be super overt for those of us who may feel like, listen, Aswan, I'm I'm okay, I'm decent. Man, there's still places in our heart. The Bible helps the diagnosis and tells us that we are in rebellion to God. It's, it's true. Like, like another prophet says it this way. He says, we all like sheep have gone, gone our own way. Like we've left God's path to choose our own. Essentially, that's the condition we're in. And this condition has damaged some things because that's not the way that God designed for it to be. It was designed. God was thinking about you and I and he had this intimate personal, harmonious relationship in mind. Bible says when he created people, uh, when he created the first humans, he looked and he saw, he said it was very good. The desire is to be in relationship. I'll be king of heaven. I'll be king of glory. And I've created, uh, I put my stamp on, uh, and I put my image in creation, and I want you to go represent me on earth. That's the way it was supposed to be, but we're damaged by sin. We have this condition. One of the ways I want to I, I highlight how we're damaged by sin is by using this example. Um, there's an example. There's a, there's a story about a young boy. I think he's about 12 years old. His name was Landry Jones, and Landry uh, began to lose a lot of weight. In this article that I was reading, he, uh, he went from about 105 pounds to like 68 pounds. And clearly something was wrong here. They were trying to figure out what was wrong. They get him to some medical attention. They're doing these tests. They try to figure out what's wrong with this young man. What they discover is that there was this uh, infection that entered into his brain. Uh, And this infection entered the part of his brain that regulated um, his appetite. And as a result, he naturally just wasn't aware of when it was time to eat or get thirsty. His appetite was singed. The thing in his brain that regulated that part was, was damaged. So so now, as a result, they have to tell him when to eat. They have to schedule it and structure when he's going to eat or drink and things of that nature to stay alive. Imagine if if Landry just stays in that condition, what's going to happen? He's going to die. In many ways, the connection is for us too. We're damaged by sin. And what sin has done is it's marred our appetites. And so you and I can't really trust what we're when we're, when we're desiring to read the Bible. We want to do good. We want to say good things. We can't really trust our appetites. And in some ways, our, our appetite for God because of sin has literally been broken. Yo, here's the truth. You know why it's hard to hear? Do you know why it's difficult to receive Jesus as being the greatest gift? Because you and I want something else. I mean, I love my Sega Genesis. Man, and if you was to try to come in and say, switch Sega Genesis for Jesus, man, it would have been tough. And the truth is, because we're damaged by sin, when we were once created to be in awe and yearn after God, now that's become marred and we yearn after other things. We're damaged by sin and this this is a real thing that obstructs our ability to really hear this statement and, and, and feel uh, and, and grasp how real it is. <laughs> and because we're damaged by sin, one, we don't, we don't realize the reality that we're in a terminal condition, right? In some ways, I think about, uh, I have this picture in my mind of like a fish in a bag, and if you poke, you poke the hole in that bag, the water, uh, as the water drips out, ultimately that fish is going to die. That fish is in a condition, and in some ways, uh, uh, we're like that fish. We, we just don't realize that we're in a bag of water that's going to, the, the, the hole in the water is going to seep out, and we're going to wither away and die if we remain in this condition. Like, because we're damaged, we don't think about it. We think we're actually good. And, and what do we do when these, these feelings arise like, man, I, I, I know there's something, I, there's something good that I should be doing or that I want to do, but then I do these things that I know that are not good. Uh, I, I, I read this article that talked about cognitive dissonance. I thought that was really interesting. Listen to this. It says, the engine that drives self-justification, the energy that produces the need to justify our actions and decisions especially the wrong ones. Listen, you and I, we, we actively try to justify our actions and decisions. Yo, in marriage, in our marriage fights, I'm never wrong. I'm t- that's not true. I'm, al- I'm always wrong. That's the truth. The engine that drives self-justification, the energy that produces the need to justify our actions and decisions, especially the wrong ones, is an unpleasant feeling that is called cognitive dissonance. Cognitive dissonance is a state of tension that occurs whenever a person holds two cognitions. Cognitions are just ideas, attitudes, beliefs, opinions that are psychologically inconsistent. Such as smoking is a dumb thing to do because it could kill me. And I smoke two packs a day. Dissonance produces mental Discomfort. Yo, that joint is real. Dissonance produces mental discomfort. They say what the mind can't handle, it gives off to the body. Ranging from minor pangs to deep anguish, people don't rest easy until they find a way to reduce it. In this example, the most direct way for a smoker to reduce dissonance is by quitting. Quitting. But if she tried to quit and failed, now she must reduce dissonance by convincing herself that smoking isn't really harmful. Yo, here's the truth, because we're damaged by sin, some of us right now, here, yo, let's just be honest, some of, there are things happening in our lives right now, and we're saying it doesn't feel good, I know I probably shouldn't be doing this, but you know what, it's probably not that bad in our lives, even today, there are some things that you're doing, that I'm doing, that you may be engaged in, that to, to try to rationalize and justify this discomfort that you feel, you're like, you know what? God is okay with that. Right? Right? Yo, I'm laughing because I've done it. I, I'm a stand here and I'm a culprit. I've done it. I remember. I remember in college, and, uh, well, actually, this was the summer before I got to college, and, yo, my friends were engaged in a lot of things, (laughs) and I'm like, okay, cool, I don't don't really want to engage in that, and what they were engaged in was they were doing some credit card scams, and this is taped, right? So let me be... (laughs) There were some some scams, and they were getting money and renting cars and going places. And I'm like, wow, that. I mean, it seemed nice. I mean, I got in a car or two. You know what I'm saying? I'm not gonna act. It. Not that. Not, I did. I got a few items. <laughs> and I didn't take the credit card. I don't even know whose credit card it was. But I, I, did, I engaged in it. I did. I did. But in my mind, I'm like, yo, it's not really that bad. I'm not really because. Hey, check it. I'm not the one really doing it. You feel me? Like, I'm not, I didn't really take it. But on, but on the other hand, I was working at a sneaker store. And I was sliding sneakers to my boys. And I looked at that as like, oh, that's, I mean, that's nothing. These dudes are credit cards. <laughs> I mean, I'm, it's just sneakers for me. And because we're damaged by sin, not only can we not trust our appetites, not only do we, do we begin to, to think that we're okay, then we begin to justify the, our actions. And if we don't understand the consequences of our condition, then we'll never understand the second part of this text. We'll never see how good this gift really is. The goal it's not to stay on this part of the text, but to, to see how profound this gift is. I want to read it again. And, Raphael, you probably could leave for the rest of our time. You could probably leave this text up. Um, for the wages of sin. I'm going to read it slow. For the wages of sin is death. I love it. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus Our Lord. I love what Paul does here uh, as a way of like literary genius. He's doing he's he's giving us contrast. I love how there's a quote by uh, Charles Spurgeon. It says this when a jeweler shows his best diamonds, he sets them against a black velvet backdrop. The contrast of the jewels against the dark velvet brings out the luster. And I think what Paul has done is he said, until we officially see the black velvet backdrop of the wages of sin or death, we will struggle to see the luster of the diamond that the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul does a great job of using the power of contrast here. And I think he's trying to get us back to awe. And I just just, want to say something. I know we talked about Paul's conversion and his his interaction with God. And I'm I'm thinking about people in the room. I know I've I've been a pastor long enough and talked to enough people to know I don't want you uh, uh, thirsting and hungering for an encounter just like Paul. That's not why I shared that encounter. The goal isn't to just want what happened to Paul. The goal is to know that there's a God that wants to make sure the first that you know the first half of this scripture, that you know for the wages of sin is death, and we're going to unpack it a little more. There's a God that wants you to know, the, to know that that's true, but he wants you to know what's more true is that there's a gift that I have to give you. I know where you are, and I'll meet you there. I love how Paul uses the power of contrast here. And so let's dive in. Let's dissect. For the wages of sin is death. I want to pull out the word wages in there, right? Wages are something we earn. I mean, let's be honest. When I go to work, on the last working day of the month for me, that's just how payroll works for young life. I want my direct deposit. I do. I need that. I got four kids, so, and a wife. I need that. Like, I know, like, we understand wages, it's what we earn. And what Paul is saying here is that the wage. What you earn because of this sin condition is death. There is no sugar coating in this. And I appreciate, I appreciate Paul in how he writes because there is some truth in that. And listen, like, like death is a curse. Death is not the way God intended it to be. The desire, like, yo, to this day, I I believe this is still true. I haven't read any recent articles, but I believe this is true. The science community says death is a mystery. Like, living forever is not the thing that they're trying to prove. They're trying to understand how death is a mystery. Because when you look at how the body is constructed, I mean, have you ever seen a little kid get a cut? They're like Wolverine. Like, in two or three days, that joint is gone. It's, like, not existing. I'm like, yo, where did you? I mean, it's a, the body is amazingly constructed. Death is, was not the intention. The intention was us to live in harmonious relationship with God. But when sin entered, here comes death. The wage of sin, what sin earns, is death. And, yo, look. Again, I don't, want, I, I don't want this to stay just rhetoric. None of this message, I'm hoping, stays on the surface of your minds. I hope it penetrates the crevice of your heart. Uh, we, you have seen death even in your own relationships. The, the law of death is like a real thing, right? We, we like, you can liken it to gravity, right? Gravity is going to happen. I don't have to believe if I jump off of here, depending on how I jump, you know what I'm saying? Like, but I'm going to hit the floor because the law of gravity says that's true. The law of death says sin, fully grown, gives birth to death. It's, it's, it's a true reality. And in your, in your own lives, in relationships... You've seen this. You've seen death in your relationships. Everything was going straight. This was my boo. I like her. I see her. She's pretty. We hanging out. Everything's going right. And then that lie happens. Or then that X happens. And then trust is broken. Whenever there is sin, something dies. A piece Of that relationship begins to die. Trust gets a little more leery. Intimacy becomes a little more, a little harder to get. You've seen it in your own life. Maybe, maybe you were the one who lied. You know what that distance feels like. Or maybe you were the one who was lied to. You know the devastation that begins to enter that relationship. Everything, every time. Something, sin, every time we sin, every time sin happens, death occurs. Something dies. (laughs) I like this quote. Uh, Howard Thurman says this, and it's it's a piece of his quote. He says, a man who lies habitually becomes a lie, and it becomes increasingly impossible for him to know when he's even lying. For the wages of sin is death. We can't minimize the reality of it. We can't minimize the consequence of it, because when we do, the next half becomes lackluster. And what I think Paul is doing is he's, he's showing us, this, this next half, oh, this joint gonna turn, this joint changes everything. Because the only thing you and I could earn is death. But (laughs) no church places but God. (laughs) Right? But God. But the gift of God is eternal life. Where sin hands us death. God stepped into human history. He put on human nature, and he walks into everyone's life. He doesn't kick down the door. He doesn't barge in, but he offers himself as a gift. And he says, this is the way you get back to things being the way they're supposed to be. And I love the juxtaposition that Paul has here because, yo, you can't earn what God did. You and I, there's only one thing we earn, and it's death. We could not earn this gift of eternal life. And, yo, listen, when I hear eternal life, I'm like, all right, that's the Christian thing. That's cool. Eternal life. I'm going to have it one day. Yo, and I'm trying to figure out, I was, I'm really, seriously, this is real talk. I'm trying to figure out how does that, how do I see eternal life now? And then I think about the accounts of the Bible. And I think, I think about statements that Jesus made saying this, a thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come so that you might have life. And I'm like, okay, okay, you wet in my appetite, Lord, give me more. And then I think about accounts that Jesus had with people in the Bible. And the, this one account where this woman, she is stuck in her condition. She's bleeding for years. There's nothing she could actually physically do about it. She spent all of her money. She went to every doctor she could probably go to. Nobody was able to give her an answer. The cure was not readily accessible on the surface. But she heard about this guy. She heard, she heard that there's some, there's some man, and she believed that there was this man that could heal her. And look, because we're damaged by sin, I don't even know. We can't trust our appetites totally. But something compelled her. Something moved her. Something was pulling her out of the grips of what death says was supposed to happen. Something was compelling her and pulling her. And she heard about this Jesus walking through a crowd, and she, she sees him. She knows it's him. She knows she can't get through and fight through, so she, she gets down on her knees. She knows she's not even supposed to be amongst people because according to the customs, she was unclean, and if anybody touched her, it would be likened to death, so they would be considered unclean and not be able to worship God. She knows all of this, yet in spite, she fights. She gets to the hem of his garment, as the Bible says. She touches the hem of his robe, the edge of his robe. The Bible says instantly she was healed. Eternal life has come to the situation. Eternal life has showed itself because eternal life himself has put on human nature. And he has come to say, even if you're in a condition, sooner, all you got to do is touch the hem of my garment and I'm going to restore things back to the way they're supposed to be. That's, that's for you too. It's not just for this woman. These accounts are designed to point to Jesus. Jesus tells the group of disciples as when he, after he's resurrected, he's walking. It's known as this on the road to Emmaus. He tells them, he sa- it says uh, Luke, the, the guy who's writing it, says Jesus sits and tells them how all of the scriptures point to him. The Bible is one complete narrative. That points to this truth, that the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. Eternal life showed up thousands of years ago, got on a cross, and said, you were the picture in my mind when my breathing stopped. The truest thing about you is that you were created in the image of God. And the work of the cross is to show that God did everything necessary to buy you back, to bring things back the way it was supposed to be. And here's what's so dope about this passage you couldn't earn it, it's a gift. And that gift was freely given to you. Yo, the work. Is for us just to believe that that gift is for us. I was a little sneak when I was in middle school and I used to find, try to find where my parents kept the presents. And I used to, a couple times, not a lot, but I seen, I've I seen a few presents in my day. But I remember going through the presents, I was like, that's for my sister oh, she got that for my dad. That's cool. Oh, but that's for me. But that gift, that gift is for me. In this holiday season, I pray that we understand the wages of sin are death because it's what we earn. But the gift of God It's eternal life through Christ Jesus, and it's for you. It's personally for you. It's not just some cosmic truth. It is true for you. The most true thing about us is that we were made in the image of God. I love the way Paul in another chapter articulates the gospel like this. He says... Romans 5, 8, but God proves his own love for us in that while we were still, not we were on our way to be, not we were recovering from, while we were still sinners, Christ died. Family, it is a gift. By the true nature of a gift, that means it's given to you without payment. Uh-huh. All we have to do is accept it. See the message is his method is Christ wants us to move out like Exodus. Gotta get rid of our hearts, put it next to His. See we overrated like the Lexuses or the Jeeps and the Benzos, the tinted windows. There's more to life than. Gathering some info. I got to make it sound like that because if I didn't, lyrics without truth, they just sound like rap. Every rap should promote the fact that Christ died, then he rose just to rope us back. See, my goal is to let you know he's so incredible. Got to make the person of Christ more legible with our lives, with our interactions with people Got to make the person of Christ more legible. I'm trying to make the fruit of the spirit more edible. People just be using his word. They're too flexible. I ain't trying to get you closer to sin. I want to show you truth in the flesh. Get you closer to him. Because he's the free gift that was given to you and to I. I want to close With this scripture, Paul writes in Ephesians 1, he says this, I pray, this is my prayer for you, I pray that the God of our Lord, Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation, the scales only fall because of revelation, God best revealed himself to us in the person of Jesus. In the uh, Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what is the wealth of his glorious inheritance in the saints, And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the mighty working of his strength? Let me pray. Daddy, thank you for the backdrop of our reality. And God, help us know, help us see, help the scales fall from our eyes that you are the greatest gift that's ever been given. Would we receive that as profound as it is in this season? In Jesus' name, amen.